Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Every Christian, every true Christian, has a testimony. And that testimony ought to be so real to him or her that they can relate it to anybody who comes up and says, Tell me about your faith. Tell me about when you came to know Jesus. Every Christian ought to have a testimony. It doesn't have to be as dynamic as the Apostle Paul's or the next person, but everybody needs that story. And not only that, but every Christian who is old enough should not only be able to relate, here's what God did to save me, and, but it also, here's how God called me to where I am now. Every Christian has been called to salvation, and every Christian is called to service. Isaiah chapter 6, title of the message is, Do You Have One of These? In the year King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one cried unto another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him who cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphim unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth. And he said, Lo, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And the Lord said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Otherwise, They might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and turn and be healed. Then said I, for how long, O Lord? And he answered, till the cities lie in ruin and without inhabitants, until the houses be deserted and the fields be wasted and ravaged, and God sends everyone far away 
and the land be left utterly forsaken. And though there be a tenth that remain in the land, yet again it will be utterly wasted. But as the terebinth and oak trees leave stumps when they are cut down, so my holy seed, the holy seed, will be a stump in the land. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for inspiring Isaiah to record this chapter in his prophecy. Because, Lord, it was the landmark moment in his life. It was that moment where you called him to salvation and that rare moment when not only did you call him to salvation, but at the same time you called him to service. And you were honest with him. You told him what it would be like. And after you told him what it would be like, he was faithful enough that he refused to walk away as if you had said nothing, as if you meant nothing. Lord, I pray that by the time we leave here today, every person will think about what is my testimony of meeting God? What is my testimony of receiving Christ? And I pray also that every one of us would walk out of here saying, what has God called me in service to do? Because, Lord, we need to know those two things. We don't have to know the day or the hour or the exact time, the exact moment. But we need to know that we have a story, a story to tell, like Isaiah did. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's my favorite passage in the book of Isaiah. I love Isaiah, although he's hard to read. I don't know if you've tried to read him. He's tough. He's, uh, he's majestic because he's describing the majesty of God. Uh, it's hard to read, but this chapter is just a joy to read. It's a joy to read because this is where Isaiah tells us how he came to meet God. And this is where Isaiah tells us how God came to call him to be a prophet. And so this one chapter answers the question, how did I get to know God and what is the purpose for my life that God has given me? Here's how I came to be a prophet. This passage describes Isaiah's experience of being called by God to salvation and being called to service by God. Both of those two things. And, and if, you, if you go to sleep in the next sentence of what I'm saying, I want you to be able to say when you go out of here, our preacher talked about the call to salvation and the call to service and that everybody ought to have them. First off, I want you to note that Isaiah tells us about his call to salvation. It came at a moment of crisis. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died. As you know, when Israel started out as a nation, they started out as a united kingdom comprised of 10, I mean, 12 tribes of Israel. But... After Solomon, David's son, 
died and his son Rehoboam took the stage as the king, Rehoboam uh, didn't have a very good approval rating with the people. And because of his heavy taxation on the people, the nation divided in two. The southern kingdom of Judah was made up of the tribes of Benjamin and Judah. And the northern kingdom of Israel was comprised of all the ten other tribes of Israel. And after that happened, there, were, there turned out to be 19 different kings in Israel, the northern kingdom, and 20 different kings in the southern kingdom of Judah. 19 and 20. You know how many godly kings the Bible says that that were among those 19 kings in the northern kingdom of of Israel? You know how many godly kings there were? Can you do this right here? Just put that right up there. That big old goose egg. Go ahead and do it. You're adults. You can do it. Zero. 19 kings in the northern kingdom of Israel. Zero godly kings. 20 kings in the southern kingdom of Judah. How many of them do you think were godly out of those 20? There were nine. Nine out of the 20 were godly. And one of those godly kings was a king named Uzziah. Uzziah reigned in the southern kingdom of Judah for a total of 52 years. Can you imagine that? I can't imagine that. We've never had a president who stayed that long. Franklin Roosevelt came the closest. He was in his fourth term of office when he died. But even then, had he finished out that term, that would have been a total of 16 years, not close to 52 years. And the people adored King Uzziah. They loved him. He always enjoyed a high approval rating with the people because he uh, the people loved him and he cared about them and he listened to them. And the nation prospered in every single way under his leadership. And then he died. He died of leprosy. It was a slow, miserable death by which he died. In fact, his son, his heir, had to kind of co-reign toward the end of Uzziah's reign. But even then, the people adored Uzziah. And Uzziah, uh, Isaiah says that it was in the year that King Uzziah died. Do you notice that he didn't say it was in the day, on the day he died, or in the month he died? It was in the year that King Uzziah died. This nation mourned for a long time over the loss of their great king. And this, this death of their leader is what prompted Isaiah to go to the temple. The Bible doesn't tell us for sure uh, how many times Isaiah had been to the temple prior to this moment. My guess is, and it's purely a guess, he didn't go much. Isaiah was not a godly man. Isaiah was a man who, who had a, evidently a filthy mouth. And he, he, he affiliated with people who had filthy mouths. So he wasn't that much of a churchgoer, we'd say. He didn't go to the temple that often, I would say. And yet, when King Uzziah, his longtime king, maybe the only king he had ever known, died. He was so heartsick and heartbroken that it... it propelled him to the temple. I've tried to think about moments in my life when when a crisis of that magnitude occurred. Uh, Those of us who are old enough could go back to November the 22nd, 1963, when President John Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas, Texas. In fact, for me, although I was three, the earliest memory in my life 
was of sitting in the living room of our house. My mother cooking over the stove, a gas stove. And Walter Cronkite breaking in the news to announce that President Kennedy had been shot. And my mother turned off all the gas eyes on the stovetop. And she came into that living room and she had an apron wrapped around her as many of the ladies did in that day. And she sat down on the edge of our sofa and watched on a black and white TV with bated breath for the next news flash. It's hard to imagine a day we'd have CNN on that, I mean, 24-7. We'd have, we'd have Fox News and MSNBC on that 24-7, but then you just had to wait. And I remember when he came back on with his, with his thick-rimmed glasses, and, and Walter Cronkite choked up when he took his glasses off, and he said, the president is dead. And I remember wondering as a three-year-old child, it's the earliest memory in my, in my life period. I remember wondering why my mother was crying over what somebody said on the television. In the year that King Uzziah died, do you remember where you were when the president was shot? Do you remember where you were when planes rammed into the trade towers? Do you remember where you were when the space shuttle Challenger exploded in mid-flight? Do you remember where you were? Those kind of tragedies, if we can think about those, how we felt about those, they can bring us in some proximity of what Isaiah felt in the year that King Uzziah died. And it propelled him, as, as crises so often do, to the house of God. Do you remember that? At three years old, I do not remember if the assassination of the president compelled people to go to church. My guess is that it did. I know that 9-11 compelled people to go to church in, in uh, high numbers for at least two or three months. We got over it pretty quick, it seems, at least from a religious standpoint. Maybe not from any other standpoint. But it was in a crisis. It was in an, a, a crisis that Isaiah went to the temple. And in this crisis, he is confronted with God. He sees a, a vision of God. He sees God. And it's this incredible vision. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Can you imagine? I've seen brides whose trains went all the way back to the end of the door. And I thought, my goodness, how in the world are you going to walk? <laughs> what in the world? But God's, the train of his robe filled the entire temple. And above it, there were these strange looking creatures. They kind of look like angels. And yet they don't look like any, any kind of angel that we've ever perceived in our minds. We certainly don't picture an angel with three pairs of wings talking to Mary, announcing the, the uh, conception of the Lord Jesus, do we? But these were seraphim. Seraphim is plural for seraph in the Hebrew pronunciation. And, and the, Isaiah said, I saw the seraphim and each one had six wings with two covered his face. Didn't even use it to fly with. With two, he covered his feet. Didn't even use it to fly with. But with the third pair, he actually flew. And they were talking to each other. And they were crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
And what happened there was Isaiah was confronted with an image, with a vision of God. And for the first time, perhaps in his life, he was not comparing himself with somebody else. Because anytime we do that, we will find somebody that we can, con- we can convince ourselves we're better than and that we're okay. But for the first time in his life, rather than comparing himself to someone else, he was forced to compare himself with the incomparable holy God. And let me tell you, anytime we compare ourselves with God, we come up short. And Isaiah came up short. He says, then said I, woe is me for I am undone. You know what undone means? It means ruined. I am ruined. And he made a confession. He said, he said, uh, I'm a man of unclean lips, probably referring in specifics to the the major sin that he could think of. Certainly not the only sin that he was guilty of, because none of us are guilty of only one kind of sin But he says, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. How do you know that, Isaiah? Because mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He thought it was over. But it wasn't over. Because the Bible said that one of the seraphim flew to him having a live coal in his hands. Isn't that something? A live coal in his hands, which he had taken with tongs from off the altar. He doesn't still have it in the tongs. He took, used tongs to take the live coal off the fire, and then he laid it in his hands. And he flies to Isaiah, and he lays the hot coal on Isaiah's mouth, and he says, Lo, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. What does that mean? It means your guilt is taken away, and your sin has been purged. What does that mean? It means God, based upon your confession, has forgiven you and cleansed you. It was Isaiah's salvation experience, starting with a crisis. Went from a confrontation to a confession of his sin to the conversion of Isaiah because of the Lord's forgiveness. But not only is this a call to salvation, it's a call to service. You see, uh, when that seraphim came up, when that seraph came up to uh, Isaiah, and laid that coal on his mouth and said, this has touched your lips, your iniquity has taken away, your sin purged. That was all, that was the end of the story on the call of salvation. Do you get that? There was, that was the end of the story. What I'm saying is God right then and there declared Isaiah justified. There was nothing else to do. And so in the next verse, it say, Isaiah says, Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? One of the most amazing things that I've found in, in uh, the Christian walk, in the life of faith, is this. That God, who doesn't need any one of us, has chosen us to serve. That's an amazing thing, especially when you consider how many times we kind of mess up what he's called us to do. There's this challenge. Who will go for us? Who shall we send? And Isaiah, it appears with with immediate response, raises his hand and says, here am I, send me. 
You see, that's what God longs for with us. Here am I. Send me. Isn't it interesting? He didn't have to go pray about that. Not that there's anything wrong with praying about stuff. But I'll tell you, there are very few Isaiah's in church today. What do you mean? What do you mean, Jimmy? I mean, you ask them to do something. They say, well, I'll pray about that. I'm going to pray about that. Let me me pray about it. Isaiah didn't even have to pray about it. Here am I. Send me. But here, here was the challenge. And this was unexpected to me that one of the first times that I read through this chapter. Because when, when, when Isaiah says, here am I, send me, I'm expecting God to, I don't know, give him a little bit of expectation of what's going to happen. But, but it be a good, positive expectation. Kind of like this. I would, expected, would have expected God to say, now, Isaiah, let me just tell you, I'm going to call you to be a prophet. And... Uh, uh, while there are going to be a lot of times when people don't listen to you and they reject you, there are going to be some good times. A lot of people are going to get saved and a lot of people are going to follow God because of what you do. Doesn't that seem kind of logical? But God's kind of gloomy with Isaiah. God is gloomy. He says, go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving and make the heart of this people calloused. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and be healed. You read that passage, it's almost as if God didn't want them to. But I don't think it was that God didn't want them to. I think that it was God's way of saying to Isaiah, this is what you can expect. He said, you can lay out the facts. You can lay out the truth. You can lay it out for people to where they, ought, they, they see it and they hear it. But hearing is not going to be enough because they're not going to understand. And they're going to be able to see it, but they will not perceive it because their hearts are going to be tough. I'm calling you to be a prophet, Isaiah, but I'm just going to tell you in advance. You're going to fail. Time and time again, you're going to fail. But you won't be a failure. It'll be because the people refused to listen to the truth. And so Isaiah says, well... Lord, how long is that going to last? <laughs> how long I got to do that? <laughs> and I'm sure he's expecting now for some light at the end of the tunnel. How long have I got to do that? And maybe he's thinking God is going to say, well, just do that for about seven months. Do it for about seven years. Let's pick some good spiritual number, seven. But God didn't even do that. For how long, Lord, verse 11 And the Lord answered, until the cities lie in ruins and without inhabitant. What? Until the houses are left deserted and the fields be wasted and ravaged. What? Until the Lord has sent everyone far away. What? And until the land is utterly forsaken. No. 
And even though a tenth remains in the land, the Lord says, it will again be laid waste. Just, just in case you think that right at the last moment, things are going to turn around, kaboom, even that will be laid waste. You still want to do it, Isaiah? You still want to serve me, Isaiah? And just as Isaiah, I think, is about to turn and go out of the temple, God says, but, but, as the terebinth and oak trees leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. There was a glimmer of hope in God's message. On the uh, spot of ground that Amanda and I bought back in uh, 2001, where we built our house, is part of, as some of you who've been around here for a long time, it's part of what used to be the Ridley Farm. I don't know what all they grew on the Ridley Farm except this. They grew trees at some part of it because on our property, there are places where there are rows of either thick pine trees or thick fir trees. And they're in rows. I mean, it's like they were they were designed to run in in rows. So they had to have been planted intentionally. And um, when we built our house, some of those large pine trees, I mean, had huge uh, trunks. Uh, We asked the folks who graded off our lot to save as many of them as we can because they were just, they're just beautiful. They're, They're majestic. They're not these little spinely, skinny pine trees. They're majestic pine trees. In fact, uh, Amanda was really angry when the power company, unbeknownst to us, we came home one day and they had cut down one of those trees right at the edge of the road and they didn't have to. And she let one of those guys have it. I had to go in the closet and pray. It was unbelievable. (laughs) But there were two of them left right on the side of the road, big, beautiful trees. And they were about two feet outside of the right of way of the county road in Coweta County. And about uh, three years ago, I noticed that one of those trees started showing signs of dying. And I, I, uh, of course, I don't have a green thumb, but I I did everything that I knew of to try to save it. And uh, this past year, about a year ago, it, it died. Huge pine tree. I mean, just majestic pine tree. And so I... At first, I thought it was within the right-of-way. I had the county come check it. They said, no, it's two feet outside the right-of-way. It's going to be your responsibility. But the branches of the tree were so majestic that they reached all the way from my property, all the way across uh, Ridley Road to the other side and even shaded some of the other side. That's how big this pine tree was. And so, uh, but I got prices for it. One guy said, I'll cut it down for $2,000. I said, $2,000? I'm going to go into lumberjacking myself. Another person said, I'll give you a break on it, $1,800, but you're going, to have to, you're going to have to haul it off yourself. Well, thank you very much. And uh, so David Stover, my neighbor, who's also uh, the representative from Coweta County, he called the county, and, and uh, they came out and decided that uh, even though it was outside the right-of-way, the branches over the road uh, posed a hazard, and so they cut it down last year. I was real appreciative and I went out there right after they cut it down, and I counted, began trying to count the rings on that tree. I didn't know how old the tree was. I figured maybe 50, 60 years old. It's an old one. And um, 
At that time, the tree had not dried very well, and it was, it was hard to see some of the rings, but I counted 75 when I, when I got to the point where I couldn't distinguish one from another. I went out there a couple of weeks ago, and it's had some time with the sun to dry out, and I could see more of them. I counted up to 100 rings in that tree trunk before I got to the place where they were so, they were so mixed together that I, I couldn't tell and distinguish uh, the other uh, rings. There are 100 rings in that tree. That tree was at least 100 years old. But I noticed something else as I was counting those rings. There were these little old bitty pine sprouts shooting up from that stump. It was coming back. You know, there was a time when that big old tree that got cut down that had a hundred rings in it at least, there was a time when it was nothing more than a little old sprout at that tall. God said, Isaiah, I'm calling you to salvation. Here am I. I'm calling you to service. Here am I. But it's not going to be good. Things are going to be bad. The land's going to be laid waste. It's going to be left stumps. But there's some little saplings come out of those stumps, Isaiah. And that's all the hope I'm giving you. And Isaiah must have said, well, I'll take it. My question for you today is this. Do you have a story to tell of how you came to know Jesus as your Savior and Lord? You, if you're a true Christian, you need to be able to tell that story. It may take you 30 seconds to tell it, or it may take you 30 minutes to tell it, but you must have a story. And if you've been a Christian long enough, not only... Should you be able to tell your story of how you came to know Jesus for salvation? But you need to be able to tell the story of what God has called you to do in your life. So back to the question, do you have one of these? Do you? Have you brushed up on telling it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm grateful to you, Lord, for your desire to work in our lives. I'm grateful to you, Lord, that you call us to salvation and that you make it so simple. You said if we believe in our heart, God has raised Jesus from the dead and if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus we shall be saved for with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made to salvation for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved it's simple it's easy Lord I pray this morning for anyone in this sanctuary who does not have a story they cannot go back and retell even the vaguest moment of coming to know you as their Savior and Lord. That's the most significant experience 
we can ever have. Lord, I also pray for those of us who can tell our salvation experience, but boy, we struggle and we stumble and we stutter when it comes to talking about what God has called us to do. That ought to be clear too. And I pray that we can do it. And I pray that everybody will be able to relate a call to salvation before we leave this building this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.